Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Anne-Marie Rousteau with us, and I'm so excited to have you on. A little bit about Anne-Marie before we get into our questions is um, you are in higher education freelancer. C is your organization, Director of Diversity and Inclusion, learning facilitator with International Baccalaureate. I would love to learn more about that because I love the whole International Baccalaureate program and UDLHE leader. So thank you for coming on today. We're going to learn so much about you and your work in education. Thanks so much for having me. So my first question for you is what inspired you to get into the education industry or into teaching or, you know, working with young people? Yeah, so actually education chose me. Um I was I was not a I was not a great student. I in regards to attending school, um when I was in school, I wasn't challenged. And so um my brother worked at the high school and he would make sure I got to school each morning and I would walk in the front doors with him and go through the building go and go out the back doors, essentially, with whoever was going to skip class. Um, and by the time I was in my senior year, I didn't, you know, we didn't have AP courses and things like that then, or it wasn't available to me. And so I um, really didn't have a lot of content then. And they had a senior awards night and I had skipped the senior awards night too, because I thought, why would I go to that? Um, I knew I was going to go to college because that was always instilled in me. And when I got to school the day after the award ceremony, um, a English teacher who mentored me, hence the writing um, that I do, was like, where were you? Why weren't you there? You received an award. Hmm. And I said, What? And he said, yeah, I had received a scholarship and it was to focus on education or on learning. And so I did my first two years of work in child development and um, just was mesmerized by the human brain and our capacities and continued on um, to be a classroom teacher and was really blessed to be able to support in so many different roles. You know, I always look at us as working for students Mm -hmm. and working for the children because that's the generation that's going to carry on and extend and um, surpass our dreams for our world. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so that's how I got into education itself. It, it just kind of caught me and I never let go. I love that. And I, I love this whole part of your story of, you know, you were surprised that you received this award and scholarship, but someone saw something in you. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the beauty of the education system and teachers, or if it's administrators or coaches, they see a light in someone and they extend 
something to them, whether that's just words of affirmation or a war, um, an award or scholarship and the light bulb kind of goes off and you're like, oh yeah, I can do this or maybe this is my path. So that's a really beautiful part of your story. Um, do you want to share anything about your early teaching experiences, any fun stories, and then maybe like how that, you know, out of the classroom, like led to your next part in education? Yeah. So I loved, I always worked in title one schools. I just, um, my first job was in a title one school and I loved it. I, um, didn't know what it was like to not have those resources. Um, because I was in an area of Florida at the time that was, um, really growing a lot. A lot of schools were being built. And so I, my first year of teaching was selected to be in the leadership team to open a school Mm. that next year. So again, you know, someone saw something in me that I maybe didn't even see in myself, which I think is a very huge theme in my life that I transfer over to others. Mm. And I just remember um, working with students. Uh, Part of our credentialing was having um, English as second language learners as an endorsement at a minimum. And I remember thinking um, the classes really focused on um, Spanish speaking populations. And my first year of teaching, I had like more than half a dozen different languages represented in my classroom alone. And so I had to very quickly connect to those roots of constructivism that I had learned in early childhood and um, really look at that human side of, I I get to be an influence and support and mentor these students. And um, so I took that into opening new elementary schools. I was able to do so once as an instructor and once as an instructional coach. Um, So that was really great experiences. And then I always had this social emotional component to the learning um, because my students, you know, some people didn't value them because they spoke a second language or because they looked at learning a little bit differently. And we would come back from fine arts or from um, the lunchroom or from recess. And there would always be an experience that would represent itself in allowing us to build ourselves as a community of learners and um, build the value for the mm-hmm. students that I was working with. So um, I was selected to be a Fulbright scholar mm. while I, yeah, I kind of do things backwards. I had done, um, <laughs> <That's> huge, <laughs> I, by the way, that's a really yeah. big honor. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was, I had done my doctorate. I had been an instructional coach and um, leader of different um, elementary schools and was invited to, and and I went back into the classroom after I finished my PhD, because I always, every couple of years would make sure that I was in the classroom, like Mm. on the ground with the kids so that I could ensure that I was walking the walk, not just talking the talk and was selected for a Fulbright and went to England and thought, you know, I'm going to just like teach, you know, I'm not going to get hold to do leadership and do all these different things. I'm going to just teach and really like solidify myself in my teaching. Mm. And it wasn't a matter of a few days and the head and the junior deputy 
had been, you know, they had been keeping very close eyes on me because you have this stranger in your school working. Right. And, um, they called me into the office and they were like, hold on a second. There's something different here. You know, tell us a little bit like about that, you know, and, and so I very quickly was able to be able to build a relationship with them and it allowed me to really know why I did what I did Mm. and speak to it Mm -hmm. in a stronger way. And I think as educators, we don't necessarily get that time to reflect very often. Absolutely. We we do things and we know that it's the right thing. Our gut and our instinct kind of takes control and, and keeps us moving forward. But when you have that opportunity to really reflect, well, why do I do it this way? And what does it mean for my students? Um, It was really powerful learning that, Mm. you know, they felt like I got to contribute a lot to them. And then I also felt like I was the one that was learning so much. So I returned from that and um, decided to do my, I think that's when I did my national boards. because always a learner, right? And it was an opportunity to talk beside some of my colleagues and work together with them. And and it was um, shortly after that, that I was requested to come to the district building to be a coordinator for response to intervention, multi-tiered mm. systems of support. And um, that was really insightful because I didn't just have that title one perspective anymore. I had gained the K-12 perspective when I was an instructional coach, but now I had the perspective of like all of the schools in the Mm. district and all of the educators and the approaches and things that were going on. Um, So that was really amazing work. At that time, my district was cycling through superintendents pretty quickly within a matter of a year and a half, I think we had three different superintendents because mm-hmm. of different things that And I was working with a team of professionals from USF because I had done all my um, learning from USF, my, my degrees from USF. And they, um, they were like, you know, you should consider coming and working with us at some capacity. And so an opening for school improvement um, came up. So the way it works in Florida is we have discretionary projects that the federal funds for the state of Florida come through and are um, funded or housed in different universities or different districts. And then you work under uh, like annual contract. So I then got to gain the perspective of um, multiple districts across the state of Florida, and then also had been involved, um, with the international, um, reading association. So I had that national and international perspective. I had the Fulbright experience and continued to do work and leadership grants with them. And then I got this, um, statewide and national perspective, common core in the Florida standards and the different iterations of that. So it was just like this constant like growth and learning. And I um, had the opportunity to transition from the assistant director for school improvement into 
the um, student support and academic achievement coordinator mm-hmm. for this state and really focusing in then on inclusive practices. Mm-hmm. And I would say I always had the traces and the understanding of the importance of diversity and inclusion throughout my teaching career. Mm-hmm. Um that really allowed me to look at what was happening politically at the same time um, and why we weren't making progress or we were making progress in different areas. So it was incredible work. And um, I became very like schooled and skilled with some incredible mentors in problem solving mm-hmm. and um looking at strategic plans and school improvement plans and district improvement plans and and seeing where the actions were just not following through. And so at that same time, we had experienced the pandemic as a nation or as a world globally. And um, I was spending more time in North Carolina with family and really reflecting on, um, do I want to go back to the, what was required of me physically, the schedule and whatnot of the work that I was doing and, um, just made that decision to start a nonprofit and focus on the mind shifts because Mm. I feel like there's so much value in, um, how we are articulating or not articulating our beliefs and aspirations for our students. Yeah. And so that's what I've been working on with um, C. It's Systematic Equity Edits Incorporated. It's been all self-funded. Um, <laughs> so wow. been, yeah, I've, I've had amazing family and friends supporting me with my savings. Um, and so it's funny because I'm like, I've never been so happy and I'm homeless, you know, (laughs) it's like, you never know like how little you need until Mm. you have, you know, the choice every day of, am I going to put this money into, um, this next project or into whatever else I would have used to spend it on. And it's, it's been an incredible journey. Wow. So many things I want to touch on, and then I want to have you share more about your um, diversity Mm -hmm. perspective and leading into the C and tell us a little bit more about that. But um, I feel like you should be like 80 years old. (laughs) How did you accomplish this? I feel like I am sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think we're like around the same age and I'm like, uh, okay, so you just did all of this in like probably 20 years or less. That's incredible. Um, (laughs) But you do have this theme of people noticing something about you, like you have this natural leader in in you and a natural light. And I think a truth and like seeing Mm. what should be changing and coming from a very authentic space and people see that in you. And then it just allows you to move to the next thing and to gather all these experiences and perspectives, because you truly need that if you're going to be a change maker, which is exactly what you are and what you're doing. So when you're a change maker, you a will have credibility and respect from others to really believe that you can lead when you've had so many experiences and you've seen 
you know, working in education, you've seen it from so many angles. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is, you know, again, part of your life, you know, path to get to where you are now. And I think it's incredible. I mean, just to be a Fulbright scholar is a huge accomplishment. And like you said, I was going to be just a teacher. I just want to be in like that zone and they already saw something in me and you know what I could advance to, to the next level. So it's just natural. It's just going to keep happening probably for the rest of your life. Um, and yeah, the pandemic, I think is the place where it's almost like an opening to start to really pay attention to like what needs to change and needs to change now and not just keep talking about it. And like you said before, I went back to the classroom several times because I want to walk the walk also have the credibility of like, I know what's happening in, you know, at ground level, but we need to do this now because there's like no time to waste. And so mm -hmm. kind of leading into that, like the work that you're doing with your um, C nonprofit, which that's amazing that it's funded by yourself and your family. And, you know, hopefully you can maybe get some, um, you know, investors, investment or crowdfunding or something to help it grow and build. So if you can go into that and also maybe the lens and perspective that you were alluding to uh, with diversity, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I actually, this, this year's projects are the first time that I'm like, oh, now I need funding. Right. And so then what do you do with that? Because there's so much need out there. And, um, and then when you're doing a nonprofit, when you're like a small business owner yourself, right? Like there are so many hats that you're wearing mm -hmm. the amount of time that different things take just to keep awareness with social media and to yeah. keep working yeah. on content and to network and build those relationships. And, um, there will be a point where I will start working on grants. I have been like, I'm like, okay, Lord, I just really need someone who like loves doing grants and would be willing to partner with me in some way so that they could um, maybe take a percentage of it to bring funds in. But um, right now I'm actually like, I'm keeping my eye on different, different positions because I want to fund a children's literature project that I have set as a goal for this year. And I met, it took me a long time to build up um, what I exactly wanted it to look like and then to find the illustrator that would be perfect. And so I have that illustrator secured. And so now I'm like, okay, well, now I need funding. And it takes so long to write grants and maybe funding would be a better approach, but um, so that's something that like I grapple with every day is mm -hmm. like, what can I contribute to so that I can also like keep this work moving forward? Mm -hmm. Um, cause we've had some pretty hefty projects already. Like in February, February was a big month for us. We released the, um, second year of the results of our multi-year study. So we have the equity equity consciousness teaser test that we use for that, which mm -hmm. is an abbreviated assessment of the larger assessment. Um, and that's been so insightful and people's feedback and insights have been really helpful. Even people who just would like message me and say, you know, like, I don't think this question should be worded this way. I have an issue with the way this or that is. And it's really good because like, intentionally I designed it that way, you know, <laughs> because it's made to help people think. 
And yeah. so even though it gave them a little bit of um, cognitive dissonance in yeah. responding, it is going to stay with them a little longer and linger. That's so such a good point. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then I also released, I did focus groups with a six session resource, you know, coming from education, professional learning communities were always like a part of our um, professional learning plans. And so that purposefulness mm. was in, really important to me and the reality of it, like keeping it very authentic was really important to me. And so the equity edits then offer that okay, now I know my level of consciousness. What are these tendencies? What am I doing that I'm doing really great with that I can build from? And what are some blind spots that I didn't realize that I have? Mm -hmm. And, and then it gives language frames and supports and discussion questions and little video snippets to really help people, um, be better, version of themselves so that we can help make this world a better place. Yeah. I love that. And so is this something where it is going to also like be maybe like a curriculum or infused in trainings for like schools to adapt and use? And is that kind of like your vision, like moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. For any organization, actually, yeah, Okay. Um, in higher ed, I've been fortunate, a uh, fortunate to work in, um, instructing education courses, but also like business management and business mm -hmm. administration courses. And I see the need everywhere. And I've looked mm -hmm. at a lot of DEIB um, curriculum mm -hmm. for adult learners. And I think that there's amazing work out there, but where we fall short is that ability to make it actionable in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm. right? It's almost the way that it's packaged. It's represented in a being done to me, yeah. not within me. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, I tried really hard to make those materials that don't cost anything. They're totally mm. free. Um, make them just, you can go in at any touch point. I was very cognitive of you have time from the car ride home, you know, from the, or to mm -hmm. school or lunchtime. Um, sometimes you get lunch when you're an educator and what value can be added by just um, dipping into mm. the content and, and seeing what resonates with you so that you can go back to it several times and it can be very um, continuous instead mm. of it being a, okay, now I'm an expert in this and I'm good yeah. to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I want to ask a little bit more about like specific, mm -hmm. maybe like audio, like you're saying, you can listen to this on the way to the cards to give an example, but I think you're so right about a lot of DEIB work feels like a checklist and it's like to get a certain, you know, score, or whatever for a company or even a school to say like, we do this. This is part of our mission statement and we have this many teachers trained and it is very much like there's not a lot of buy-in. Like then the whole like DEI, I don't know, title itself has been used in politics. It's been tarnished. It's been thrown around and there's almost like a negative connotation with it, which doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, 
then it turns people off like, oh, here we go. Another DEI training or director or initiative. And then people then they actually shut off and they might be, some people are doing this just on Zoom calls and they're like, yeah, I'm going to just be on my phone while I'm doing this. And like, what is it doing? So if you can give maybe an example of like a module or an audio or something that where this is supposed to be fully like for the individual to go through this and really absorb and take something away. Cause I think that's important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And honestly, like I, that's how I write. Um, I'm the youngest of five and I truly believe that my qualitative research skills developed at a very young age because I would sit and observe and listen. And so I have always, even, even when I would do scholarly writing, I always bring in vignettes mm-hmm. and bring in um, just the realness of the work that we're doing. And that's what I love about networking because I'm an introvert, but what I love about networking is I get perspectives from different people. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to always be with people who are like-minded because um, I'm able to gain a perspective and a different approach and understanding in regards to like, oh, this could be much stronger than if I build this in, mm-hmm. you know, not making an excuse or rationalizing um, people's behaviors, but like, oh, okay, there's a wall there that I wasn't aware of. And so I can do even better. So um what I do with the sessions and the equity edits is there's like a very quick video um, that is just really like recapping the session before. And then it's um, I do a little introduction and then I bring in those key terms and then there's discussion questions. And also I'm a person who loves um, to not just look at a quote out of context, but bring in a quote with that context to make it more meaningful for people Mm -hmm. to relate to, or maybe um, to have stick in their mind to go back to and connect. So um, like in one of the sessions, we do work on the different tendencies, which are deficit view, rationalization, diversity, Mm. erasure, normalization. And it's like, Mm. how do we disregard or how do we adjust or how do we manipulate or how do we deny? And are we doing that in error where we're actually sabotaging success or damaging another human being's spirit? Um, Or are we doing it um, very aware of, um, learning more and scaffolding our language. So Mm -hmm. what we do, we look at strengths and opportunities for growth. And I take each of those tendencies and I show how it can present itself as a weakness. Mm -hmm. It can, um, like when we look at deficit view, it can look like a scarcity mindset, Mm-hmm. right? Where in a classroom, a teacher can go to the grave on um, making sure that all of the students have to be responsible for their own materials, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and that they um, have to provide them. And um, because if we go to community baskets, there wouldn't be enough for everyone or um, people would fight over the items or whatnot. But if you look at it as an abundance mindset, instead of a mm. deficit view, instead of um, looking at the glass half empty instead of half full, it's that when we think of someone as a deficit, that has a negative connotation. So we we begin and we engage in our behavior management in this like they're not going to do it because of their background or because because of where they come from or it's not fair because some people have and some people don't um so some people will have a favorite pencil or whatnot and so we can't have a community basket in the classroom but if you look at it in an abundance mindset it's that shift in understanding of um we get to then commune together and collaborate and have mm. some conversations around, well, this is my favorite pencil. It doesn't mean someone can't have a favorite pencil, but the value of the language that you get to scaffold with the students in learning about that mm. and supporting each other and knowing that the human being is more important than the pencil and having the conversation is a gift that we don't get to stop and think about as educators very much because yeah. um, we have so many things on our plate that we may automatically go into that deficit view of mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to handle it. So therefore I'm not going to do it and mm -hmm, missing mm -hmm. out on so much, you know, that's just a simple, simple example. Mm -hmm. But when we look at turning in those areas, which we all have different weaknesses and strengths within a deficit view or within rationalization or whatnot. When we look at building that into a strength, it's so powerful. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's one example of what happens in the equity edits is you get to go through and really self-reflect and you kind of like get to call yourself out in a mm -hmm. safe environment yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, I do that. And I never mm -hmm. realized, mm -hmm. and I never realized what could be on offer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's things like that. And, and that's why, yes, I am an educator at heart and I, um, people have said, so is this like just for educators, but to me, it's for any organization mm -hmm. and, um, because it's about how we interact. And so just like, being a human. Yeah. Just yeah. In just your regular yeah. day life, not even within your career or job, because it's how we interact with just people. Right. 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 And yeah. so in my um, block writings, which I have recorded also, um, it, and it's very raw. It literally is like I do, I did the writings and then I was someone, someone actually wrote to me and said, I love reading your blog. I would love to be able to listen to it on my way to work. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay. So I just went into Podbean and started recording them yeah. very raw. It's just me reading it. Might yeah. not be, you know, if you don't enjoy my voice, I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but it gives you the opportunity to listen to it. And yeah. in those writings, I um, bring in different examples that I've experience myself and growth that I've had myself and how it's taken it into the grocery line 
at the store mm-hmm. or the soccer field when waiting for my kids during a game, you know, mm-hmm. it, it transfers mm-hmm. and it's not, no, nowhere in my research has it shown that, you know, educators are at this area and need to improve. Mm-hmm. This is like you said, a human thing mm-hmm. and everybody has opportunities for growth. So yeah. um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I like the uh, use of audio because I think we're living in a time where, well, podcasting is just huge in general. I've just noticed that since creating a podcast, I'm like, <laughs> everyone's having a podcast now. This is cool. Because I think a lot of people find it digestible and to hear like, whether it's little readings or an interview or whatever that may be, because a lot of people are like, even if they work at home, I want to listen to this on a run or when I'm walking my dogs or when I'm cleaning my kitchen and not taking anything away from reading, but you can get a lot more download, you know, and download information when you, and everyone, you know, mostly has like these now, yeah. you know, when you're listening to a podcast or audiobook. like I often, I still read books, but especially if it's something I really want to listen to, like there's meditations that are involved or whatnot, I get the audiobook, and then I have like a lengthier commute. So I get so much more information if I'm listening to it. So I think that has a lot of value, but I want to touch on this whole kind of concept of what you're doing with this work is like, again, it's not a task. It's the psychology. Like you are helping people with their own brain and their own kind of confirmation bias and their own cognitive dissonance and all of that. And this is totally in my wheelhouse because I teach this in my psychology class. And I often will tell students, especially when we get to social psychology, I'm like, we do all these things. So when we go over like terms and I go over examples, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I do this. Don't feel bad. You are human. It's part of human nature. But the work we're doing now, not just to take a psychology class to get a credit, but literally is to start catching yourself, right? Like, so then you're like, oh yeah, I so do this. This is like attribution, you know, theory. Like, yeah, I'm doing that and I'm kind of judging someone and you're kind of just retraining your brain and picking up on that so that you can take some time and reflect and really think about how to maybe have more of an open perspective. And a lot of this too, like you're turning something that's negative into a strength is like that positive psychology look for the abundance like all of the positive psychology field is like flipping kind of clinical psych on its head and saying well let's look at the strengths that we have in our community let's look at the things that are abundant and then utilize that and when you come from that mindset it's so much easier to build community than thinking about scarcity right and our mind our default is fear our default is scarcity our default is to put up defenses and protect the ego. It's just like, we naturally do it. Mm-hmm. And you, this kind of work and these kind of like modules, um, you know, audio video is to just slow down mm-hmm. and just take some time to reflect on what is actually going on in the brain. So you can kind of retrain it. And it is amazing, you know, plasticity, your brain can rewire itself. You can build new neural connections and then it gets easier each time you do it so that even if you're like triggered by something or you're learning something new and maybe your like reaction still is like, oh, and then you're like, oh, wait, why did, why did I fear that? Or like, why did I think like negative, you know, like just what is the, the new way of kind of approaching it? And then it just becomes, it becomes like your new 
way of thinking. So you could yeah. do this over time and then, and literally change the way that your brain works. I think it's amazing. Yeah. This is such a smart way to really look at like the DEI work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, actually in the first session of the equity edits, there's a brief because, you know, everything is like condensed, but there's like a couple of paragraphs that just goes into the history, right? It's not just something that, oh, okay, this is what it is. It's, yeah. it goes back to Freud in those levels of consciousness, yeah. it goes back to Konorsky and the neuroplasticity, just like you said. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I want to, I want to go back to what you said about, you know, the fight, flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much research out there about that. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of research now in the um, social emotional realm on forging forward. Mm -hmm. And I took some time to go in and really look at, you know, our brain does automatically go into defense, mm -hmm. but there is real beauty and power in forging forward and that resiliency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if we can forge forward, if we can take two steps forward, if we're, you know, we're still taking a step back, but we're taking two steps mm -hmm. forward, then I believe that we're building our capacity to just be better human beings and valuing um, what's on offer around us. Mm -hmm. So it, it's exciting to me when I hear things about, um, the forge forward, the resiliency work. And I also get very excited when I hear about, um, people really being risk takers and being more vulnerable and having mm. courageous conversations around, um, like Bloom's taxonomy, mm -hmm. you know, I think we have, when we look at, the structure and what's on offer with that, it's like, okay, okay, this really helps. But when we see it living itself out and we know that we have students who are living in their car, but still like mm -hmm. rocking it in the classroom, mm -hmm. um, we can be a little bit more um, open-minded about well, maybe it doesn't have to be a hierarchy. Maybe it doesn't have mm. to be a leveling. Maybe there's some real gifts in humanity that we've been missing out on mm. because we've been learning things more in isolation where now I think it's so exciting to be able to bring research to life and be more in the moment with it. Mm -hmm. And not just be statistically, this is saying, but how it's living and breathing is. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, um, I think that maybe we haven't looked at what's mm -hmm. on offer in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a great, um, opportunity there when we yeah. do. Yeah. I think a lot of like the meta work, right? Like I think, mm -hmm journaling and reflecting and talking about the experience. So I do some of this in my classroom where we do something and then I have them write about not just what we did, but like, how did it feel? And what did it, you know, how did it challenge you? Or like, what did you get from these other perspectives? And so when we can help all people, I'll just go back to the classroom, but help students and even like faculty think about the whole process and experience. So like, reflection and journaling is, it sounds so simple, but it really does help you 
um, again, rewire your brain and think about things differently and think about the feeling of it. And I think going back to social emotional, we, we got to incorporate more feelings, like just more feelings in everything, like in school, in different jobs, in the way we have our life. We just still are a society that doesn't really want to talk about our feelings. And we don't think that's a skill or we don't think that is something that will benefit us, but it, it does because when you can capture and talk about how did that feel, you will remember that. It's like that famous, like Maya Angelou quote, right? Like you're always gonna remember how someone made you feel. You're also always gonna remember how an experience made you feel. I went to, uh, with my students, I led a trip to Germany. And after we would go to different places, particularly Dachau concentration camp, we talked about the feeling and like feeling history. When you feel history, that stays with you your whole entire life than just reading, watching, or even listening to a firsthand account. So like, I think we need to do more of that. And I think this is like a great, great organization in the work you're doing into capturing that feeling, that meta, that cognitive, that psychology. I love it. Like I'm just all about it. And yeah, before we kind of wrap up here and we can share some more of your information, anything else you want to share about the work you're doing or like how this really, you want to grow it or how you see this like transforming society moving forward. Cause I think we're at like the precipice of really becoming a more consciously aware society. Yeah. So, um, originally, you know, I, my, my last work was in doing like educational system reviews was a big part of it. And, um, tucking in, I, I love going in classrooms and talking to teachers and students or tucking in and getting people's perspectives on what's going on. And, and so I had, um, originally designed to offer services to do that and have been able to do it a little bit, but by my own accord, um, I just fall into like developing the content. Right. <laughs> so, and so I have to find a better balance for myself when you, when you say like, where do you see it going? Um, I would love to be able to start getting into more organizations and not just, um, doing the equity edits to someone or the equity mm -hmm. consciousness assessment to someone, but having it be tools that catapult the conversations like we're having here today, mm -hmm. right? Where it's not, I'm coming in to observe you, to tell you it's, I'm coming in to see where it's happening and how it's happening. Um, and where there's opportunity for, um, us to get some honest feedback in support of each other. You know, you mentioned Maya Angelou's quote, which is so interesting. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is what I developed the six sessions from. Mm. And so in that last session, I break it down. And so when she says, whenever I decide something with an open heart, I usually make the right decision. And so the work that I'm doing is, identifying your equity consciousness and learning areas of weaknesses by tendency so that you can grow from that. Mm -hmm. And then when she says, even when I have pains, I don't have to be one. Mm -hmm. And 
the work in the equity um, edits is like realizing your potentialities um, through rewiring to use complementary actions of your tendency so that it can help you define and practice the tendency that you're wanting to change. Um, it almost becomes like contagious. Like mm. the whole idea of doing the survey was, you know, I remember when I was a kid and my friends would have magazines and they'd have these quizzes in it and they'd say, oh, you should have purple hair or you should wear this, this color or this outfit or whatever. And, um, you know, a little bit more of a life-changing level with equity consciousness, but that same like um, inviting experience mm -hmm. of it is what I want it to develop. So, so like when, and Maya Angelou's quote, when she says every day we should reach out and touch someone, people love a warm hug or just a friendly pat on the back. Um, this work is that like, you're going from mind shifts to mindfulness so that you can overcome your tendency and influence others in doing so as well. Mm -hmm. And then when she says, um, I still have a lot to learn. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. It's about really remembering our legacy and um, how we can add value instead of marginalize, whether we're intentionally mm -hmm. marginalizing or not. Um, because in the research I've been doing, a lot of people just don't even realize, or they know they are, but they don't know how to do things differently or say things differently. And they feel so caught because we in society right now, for many people, it's not a safe place to have a courageous conversation and yeah. look for help. Right. Yeah. So it's really like making that choice for yourself yeah, and in giving you the equipping you to, to make those choices. And, and what I found from people who have done, had done the focus groups is that they go back, you know, the mm -hmm. sessions, there's six sessions, but it's not like a checklist, like you mentioned for some other things. It's you go back and you revisit it under a different tendency. Mm -hmm. um, or you go back and you're like, okay, wait a second. I feel like today I just like nailed this, but oh my gosh, did I lose it yeah. in this area? And and you can kind of have that safe support. Mm -hmm without um, me being able to be right there with everyone at every mm -hmm. time. Um, it gives that encouraging, supportive mm -hmm. access to doing some of those changes that can be tough and, mm -hmm. and can be daunting to not know where to start and not even know, you know, the history that you have and how that's impacted mm -hmm. some of the decisions you're making today. So mm -hmm. yeah pretty exciting work. Yeah. And it's the power of like each other and our influence we have on each other and the ripple effect of that. And I talk about that a lot is that if you see someone doing kind of this work and you see a change in them or how they start talking about, you know, things that they're understanding, you're like, what's going on here? I kind of want to know the secret sauce, right? Like I kind of want to be in on this, like yes. this thing you're doing. And I think people will approach this work so much more when they can see it and they can see people changing and changing their perspective and saying, you must do this because you are deficient in this, right? People get then defensive. So I think 
not, you know, saying we've done it the wrong way, but like the work you're doing is just more intuitive because the way I think at least DEI has started, it kind of came across, like I said, the checklist and all that, but kind of defensive and kind of putting people on the defensive of like, you have a deficit. So going back to that scarcity yeah, and you need to change because this isn't working in the school or organization. And when we approach it that way, you're automatically going to have many people say, um, no, I don't really care about this. I don't want to do it. Don't bruise my ego. But by doing it through internalizing and your own reflective work and then watching people talk differently, change the way they think, do perspectives, you're like, hmm. And then if more people start doing it, you're also, again, it's conformity and it's this is all social psychology. You're like, well, I don't want to be the one that's like not you know, doing this work or that's like still stuck in kind of like this mindset when everyone's kind of moving forward, we all have to kind of carry each other to the next phase of consciousness. Right. And it goes back to, yeah, community when we're doing it together in community and we're watching each other changing and thriving and moving forward, eventually you will get the other members on board, you know, because people don't want to be left behind. Um, But you're doing this in a graceful caring, compassionate way and not, you know, putting people on the defensive and saying you're doing stuff wrong and you need to do it this way. So this approach is very intuitive. It's very about, again, getting to the human spirit and their own consciousness and and moving everyone together in the way that it's on their own path. But I I do believe we'll all get there and -hmm. we can't force it, can't force things, can't force change. You could do this as like natural like nudges you know caring nudges so I love it it's great thank you thank you and um I actually was in conversation with someone a couple of people earlier in the week and they were talking about how they were said oh you know we just we can't even use the terms diversity or inclusion right now because it just puts a wall for some people and they were talking about ethnic unity And I'm like, you know, it is, Mm -hmm. it's about unity. Mm -hmm. It's about Mm -hmm. humanism. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about whatever we each need. And no matter like what we look like, where we came from, we're here on this earth and we have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And even if you come from this very like closed-minded, like I need to take care of myself. There's so much value in this work just for yourself. If mm-hmm. you want to just do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and then it just, like you said, with your example, it just trickles out. Um, I'm working on, are you familiar with the Harvard business review classics? Mm-hmm. They're like miniature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on miniatures of each of the like equity consciousness and then each of those four tendencies okay. and breaking it down. Because to me, um, I've not gone that approach of writing a 300 page book for people to um, right. go through, which I'm an avid reader, but not everyone is. And, yeah. um, and I want it to get that information out there so that if someone just picks up one of those miniature books and looks at normalization and the role that it's playing in how they're interacting with society, it'll have huge impact. Yeah. 
Um, and that's the same thing with the children's literature work. Um, it's kind of like a look and find design. And so that it's going to be beneficial for any, you know, I children of zero to 99 plus is what I always say. Um, because it's, it's building resources that are supportive of us and where we are and just helps us to grow into where we want to be or where we maybe couldn't even fathom for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, pinch me. I get to do this work every day. Amazing. It's all about growth at the end of the day. Like you can't just say, I got to this point. I'm good. Right. Like we're always growing and you always are, you know, trying to be a better person and you're not going to be perfect. And the point is like, you just want to get to like the next level each way through it and holding each other in community. I like this aspect of ethnic um, unity because we all come from different backgrounds, which we need to recognize, but we're all human and we need to also see what we do share as commonalities and why we want to be doing this together. And I, I talked about this recently at um, a conference I was at in New York was that um, when we're learning history, that's hard, you know, it's like, we don't want to like, obviously cover up truths, but we all have to own that it's our history. So like we're talking about American history, doesn't matter where you came from, immigrant, black, white, whatever, it's all our history. And if we own all of it together and say, we're all part of it, and we're all part of knowing and understanding so that we can take that and move forward and Mm -hmm. and be a better society together, reframe that instead of like, when people start thinking that people are pointing fingers, no one's pointing fingers, right? You're learning truth together to understand your commonality this history together so that you can move forward and that's it I mean it's it's not rocket science no it isn't it's especially in North America right our country is so new and and we we tell people we I always told my students and I always modeled learning from my mistakes right Mm -hmm. and we made some good choices and we made some bad choices but I think what does more damage is in not owning it and not trying to build it up it's really important that we um that we can come together in unity and really recognize what's on offer I love it. Great way to end. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. And any information you want to share with uh, the listeners, and I'll plug that in the show notes, the website, or any other um, info that you would like to just plug for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I am on year three of the data collection for the research. So if they go to seethingsdifferently.org, a pop-up will now um, present itself about 20 seconds in. And um, that is um, private for them. Like I don't have their name unless they give me their email, but never will they see their name on my website with a quote or anything, unless it's been asked about ahead of time. So um, that would just be super helpful. And then um, just networking and anybody who I'm, I'm very approachable and I, I love to connect virtually or I'm, I'm all over the U.S. all the time. So um, getting together for coffee and having these conversations. Mm, right? Love that. Yes. Bringing the humanity right to this. 
this yes, work. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This is a wonderful conversation. Um, I love what you're doing. I think it is innovative, intuitive, and it's looking really at the DEI work in a totally different way, in a way that I think is going to be um, our way forward. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. It was good to meet with you today. Great to meet with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.